Our scripture today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I did not grow up in a large family. I have one sibling. I have two first cousins in the whole wide world. That's it. So our big family gatherings around the holidays were not big at all. Like everybody fit around one table. Thankfully, though, I had another kind of family that was very big and had giant family meals several times a year. We called them potlucks. And in my mind as a kid and now, there is no finer time to be a member of the church than when the congregation is gathered for a potluck meal. When I was a kid, my mother had this special contraption that only came out at potluck times. These were the days when not only did each family bring a casserole or an appetizer or a dessert to share, everyone also brought their own dishes and their own silverware. Can you imagine? You guys remember this? You went to potlucks like this? Well, so my mother, I would get so excited when she would pull out of the cabinet our dish carrier. My maternal grandmother had sewn it hand-sewn it. It was blue and a yellow floral pattern, and it had kind of scalloped edges, and she had sewn bias tape along all the sides. It was round, and you put your plates in the bottom, then you folded in the sides, and you secured your silverware in your napkins. You tied the whole thing up, and then you fastened this carrying handle with a button over on the other side. Anybody else have something like this? Yeah, a few of you? Amazing. We also had a cloth-carrying device for our casserole dish, also sewn by my grandmother. I never got to carry the heavy casserole as a kid, but sometimes my mother would let me carry the dishes. And I thought that was so exciting. I loved the ingenuity of that thing and the fact that it represented this great meal was going to happen that day. So after worship, then, of course, in the big sanctuary, we would all head down the building to the huge fellowship hall, and long rectangular tables would be set up in rows lined on either side by folding chairs. My family would pick our spot. We would unwrap our silverware and dishes and then head over to the long tables full of food covered from corner to corner with both the familiar and the exotic. I mean, exotic to a seven-year-old Kansas kid didn't take that much to impress me at that point. We ate too much, and then we played with friends, and we just had the best time. And I have been to a lot of potluck dinners since those days at College Hill United Methodist Church, and I continue to find them nothing short of miraculous. Really, they're miracles right before our eyes, because there's always enough food, there's always this wide mix of salads and side dishes and desserts, 
There's always something new and interesting to try. There's plenty of old favorites. And blessed be the mighty name of Jesus, someone always makes deviled eggs. I've been going to church potluck dinners for 45 years, but they are not a new invention. Far from it. In fact, they are millennia old. We have reason to believe that sharing meals together was a part of the tradition of the church from the very beginning. I guess we can account that to Jesus, actually. He's the one who used eating with people as a key part of his ministry. Over and over again in the scriptures, we find stories of Jesus eating at someone's house. It wasn't just that he and the disciples needed to eat. Jesus used those meals as a way to teach, to invite, to share God's radical love, to give glimpses of the kingdom, and to change people's lives. I mean, think about those times he ate at the house of a Pharisee or a tax collector or Zacchaeus' house. Or think about him eating with Mary and Martha. Or think about him sitting down for one last meal with his disciples and sharing the table with Judas, his betrayer. Jesus ate with the people he loved and with the people he wanted to help. He ate as a way to form relationships and to show us who God is. And, of course, he left us with a meal as a way to connect as a way, a central way to remember him, as a way to receive God's grace, we call it Holy Communion. Christians are people who eat together. I wonder if you've read about this little dust-up that happened on the interwebs in the last few weeks, a conversation about sharing food or not sharing food, actually, in Sweden and other Scandinavian countries. You know what I'm talking about? I guess it's not quite as common today, but in prior decades, if a kid was over playing at a friend's house and it was time for dinner, rather than invite the guest to the table, it was not uncommon that the friend would be left in the bedroom or the hallway to just hang out while the family went and ate dinner. Seriously. Seriously. Now, I guess it was having something to do with not incurring obligation, like debt and obligation. If I feed your kid a bunch of times, you're going to be indebted to me, and that would be awkward, and maybe it would be hard for you to repay. So I'm doing you a favor by not feeding your kid. (laughs) Now, I really want to respect cross-cultural differences, but that's hard to swallow, isn't it? I mean, we see food as such an important way to provide hospitality, to bond, to connect, to share. It's something that's embedded in us culturally as Americans, but also it is an expression of our faith. And I think this is why the church that eats together shows generosity and care. From what we read in the book of Acts, eating together, sharing a meal, it was essential to the functioning of the church from the very start. In Acts chapter 2, we get a description of what life was like for the first Christian people. And the verses that, that we just read today come from immediately after that day of Pentecost. So remember, on Pentecost, we read that the Holy Spirit came in this mighty and surprising way. And the disciples, they were able to share the good news of Jesus Christ in all kinds of different languages. And so the Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem that day for the festival. They got to hear the message in their own language, and 3,000 people converted on that day of Pentecost. And then they started living together. The book of Acts says they devoted themselves to learning, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
Think about that list. Of course, they learned to study the scriptures together. Of course, they prayed, but they also ate together. That was one of the central ways that they got together as a group, even from the beginning. They ate together. But it wasn't just like, hey, everybody bring your sack lunch at noon. No, it was much more generous than that. The scripture says they held all things in common. They held all things in common. They would give to those in need, even if it meant selling some of their own stuff. They ate with joy, they had all they needed, and people were continually being added to the church. Now, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing as a way to live in community. We don't have to read very much further in the story to learn that things don't stay perfectly harmonious in the church. It's not long before conflicts and divisions arise, and we know that it was real work to stay in community together and to move the mission forward. We don't see, further on in the Bible, we don't see any reports of this same kind of extravagant generosity that we find in chapter 2 of Acts. And when we take that along with our own experience of what it means to live inside a church, we might wonder if this report of the first Christian community is a little too good to be true. I mean, maybe it's polished up a little. Maybe they were using their best, most positive filter. But even if that's true, it helps us see what church could be at its very best. What it would mean for us to fully inhabit the discipleship, the, this call to discipleship in our lives. Or, or maybe this kind of intense sharing, this holding all things in common, maybe that's what it took to get the church off the ground as a movement. Maybe it took a group of people 100% committed to each other with their whole lives, with all their possessions, in order to make the church work in those first weeks and months. But above all, this snapshot of life inside the earliest church community, it reinforces for us the truth that church is meant to be a place of generosity and care. We share with one another. We celebrate with each other. We invest in each other. We don't do our faith alone. Being a disciple of Jesus, it's not some kind of personal improvement project that we can do solo. Being a disciple of Jesus means being called together with other people by the Spirit of God. What was it that invited those early disciples to share so fully and so freely with each other? It was Pentecost. It was the wind and fire of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drew them together to live as a family. And why would the Spirit do that? Because the church... As the church, they were meant to be the very living expression of Jesus on the earth. As the church, they were meant to embody the grace, the hope, the love, the joy, the generosity that characterized his life. They were meant to live as if the kingdom of God had come because they knew the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And if they were meant to do that, so are we. You know, this, this isn't just a place that you come for an hour a week to spend some pleasant time and then go about your business. A friend of mine told me this week that one of the members of her church told her recently, you know, Pastor, we can't come in person yet because we haven't paid our dues. We haven't paid our dues. What they meant was they had not contributed financially to the church yet this year, so they felt like they couldn't come to worship. But the word that they used was dues, like at the country club, like 
there's an annual fee that's required for you to even be able to make it into the clubhouse for lunch. Y'all, we are not a country club. We are not a country club. We don't have dues. You're welcome inside this door even if you're not able to pay a single penny. We belong to each other because we belong to God. And we belong to each other because we know the saving love of Jesus. And we want to live like he lived with abundant generosity and with deep care. The sharing and the generosity inside a church community, it often gets expressed by food. But it's not just about food, right? It's really about making sure that everyone has what they need making sure everyone has what they need to thrive. It's about providing space for one another to grow. We live inside this space, not in competition with one another, but in cooperation, in mutual sharing and mutual encouragement. And for those earliest disciples, that meant supporting one another financially. For us, it often means sharing a meal, but also making sure that everyone has what they need, even in less tangible ways. Now, your pastors spent last week at the Great Plains Annual Conference. You might have known it was right here in La Vista, Nebraska. And several members of St. Paul, several of you volunteered time to help make conference happen, and I'm really grateful for that. It was so fun to see you there and see you helping. We had United Methodists gathered from all over Kansas and Nebraska, and it, it was really the most wonderful time. We sang together, we celebrated together, we grieved together, we voted on some things, and we ate together. Now, just before annual conference, as Pastor Bellarmi said, he and I spent time at the TIM retreat, the Transition into Ministry retreat. And this is a program that is supporting him in his first two years of ministry and supporting me as I support him. And we had a great time together. And as he said, there were snakes. I really am sad I didn't bring the picture to show everybody. So maybe we'll put it in the trumpet next week. So make sure and look for that. Uh, and ask him more about it when you get a chance. You looked very fine with a snake draped around your neck. It's a good memory of his first in-person annual conference. Well, there was a moment during that retreat, though, when I stopped to look around the room of 25, 20 or 25 clergy, and there were people there from everywhere, people born in South Korea, born in Liberia, born in the DRC, born in the United States. It was a really beautifully diverse room of clergy, and I just marveled at how God has brought all of us together here to tend to the churches of the Great Plains. Now, in a room like that, with people from so many different places, we have to take care and we have to be generous so that everyone gets what they need. Maybe there's some things that need to be explained uh, in a way that we wouldn't have to do if everyone was raised in Nebraska. Maybe there's some extra effort that has to be made to learn how to pronounce one another's names and then, even more difficult, learn how to spell them correctly. <laughs> Maybe it takes some time to have more time to have conversations because the backgrounds that we bring are so diverse. It takes work, but the result is this communion, this fellowship, this sharing that's so rich and so deep and so lovely. It was a room of tremendous perspective of laughter, of joy. It was a chance for us to marvel at what God is doing all over the world, not just in our little corner of it. It was a chance to show generosity and care in a, in a beautifully broad and deep way. It was church, and it was holy. 
Now, my invitation to you today is to find some ways this summer to lean into the generosity and the care of a church congregation, especially taking opportunities to eat together. You know, we have lived through these pandemic years, and we're just now getting back to the full expression of our life together. And you have got a lot of chances really soon to share in the fellowship of food. Today, between worship services, we're going to be celebrating the ministry of John Hewitt, his 20 years with us here. And guess how we're going to do it? With food! That's right. They're setting up right here. I can see them in the narthex right now. Next week, we're going to celebrate fathers. Guess how we're going to do it? With food! Donuts for dads next week. Everyone can have a donut. You don't just need to be a dad. The last week of June, we're going to have a really great experience of Vacation Bible School centered around food. It's a food truck party. In fact, on, at lunch on the Friday the 24th of June, we're going to have actual food trucks out in the parking lot so you could come by and have some food. The first week of July, we're going to celebrate my 20th anniversary in appointed ministry with food. That's right. We're going to have food. And then the next weekend, July 10th, we're going to go to the Storm Chasers game together, including a tailgate in the parking lot with food. How about that? I could keep going, but that's just the next four weeks, five weeks. And I haven't even mentioned the way that we care for families at funerals and the food we bring to one another when we're sick or the fact that you could just go out to work, go out to eat after worship with anybody here on any old Sunday. So find a way to participate in our community meals in these next weeks. You're going to be strengthened by it. We will be strengthened by it. Our mission will be strengthened by it. The church that eats together shows generosity and care. Thanks be to God for all the ways we have to share with one another. Amen.